I'm Leonard Nimoy. Join me for In Search of... An Artemis! Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jim Gentile. It's easy to podcast when you hit the right button. I am with my usual co-conspirators, Peg Bennett, Shelley Cummings, John Heinz. Today is going to be short and sweet. Top of mind only. Who's first? Last time we said we were going to do short and sweet, we, we talked for an hour. Um, I don't want to go first. Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll go, go first. Okay, okay, go Peggy. Okay. You go Peggy. All right. Well, I am ready with top of mind because really what I've been thinking about a lot lately is um, how into football I am this season. And it's really unusual. <laughs> Professional or college football? Both, both. Well, really, I'm just watching my team, my IU team, and they're doing so well. And maybe that's why I'm interested because I'm one of those fair weather fans. Yeah. But Michigan is stinking it up, which also gives me a little bit of secret pleasure. Hopefully none of my friends are listening. And then (laughs) my team is rocking it. And then uh, professional, too. I'm finding it to be like like an art form i used to just think what? it was stupid what? and everybody's oh just hitting their heads and getting yeah. concussions and yes and, and dying doing dog early, fights suicide yeah i'd like to do- i'd like you to expand on the art form term it's like it's like football. a precision ballet or something i mean have you watched <laughs> them throw these balls to these people who are being attacked by 300 pound people and they catch them yeah, but the balls the balls are basically like Velcro and so are the gloves they're no, wearing. No, that's not true. You're wrong. And they're they and wear then gloves they run. that are like fancy. They wear tech. gloves, but that yeah, is that's bullshit. But that is not the, they shouldn't not wear the same gloves. Thing. It's bullshit. It's unfair. It's cheating. Well, first yeah. of all, not all of them wear gloves. And secondly, Whatever. they are not like Velcro. I know. It's like Velcro. No. So that's really been on the mind. It's not like Velcro, but it's more it's like Velcro in the way that it helps them catch the ball. No. Doesn't. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> it has a different tactile nature to it than if you're using your raw hands. That's like true. anytime, it's cheating. Like if you put little gloves sticky. on, well, if you put gloves on to pull rules, weeds in the yard, yeah, it's cheating. It's yeah. cheating. It's cheating. But if I had done it when I was in high school, John, it would have been cheating. John, and John, since you just said repeatedly, you never watch football. You don't know anything about what you're talking about. Not that that's unusual, but that is manifestly the case. Every time I turn see the highlight films, though, or I'm passing by a television where I see it, I feel like I see somebody with a Velcro oh, well, fist hold out a hand and catch a ball. that qualifies you to make pronouncements on that the what, what qualifies? It's football. Do I really? I mean, the thing that <laughs> doesn't the fact require that you don't enjoy it is fine. The fact that you're trying to make allegedly factual pronouncements is that's problematic. True. That's true. That's true. Peggy, do you feel that way about other sports? Uh, No, lately it's just football. Interesting. Um, And I've been enjoying sitting in front of the TV. I mean, maybe it's a COVID-related thing because I'm home a lot now on Sundays when normally I'd be out and about. But I I can can sit there and uh, fold my laundry or do my second job or... Play Scrabble. Yeah, play Scrabble or just relax and be amazed by... How high they jump, how fast they run, how they don't Do get hurt. you watch any particular team, Peggy? Yes, I like to you watch the said. Vikings, and I like to watch the Packers. 
And I like to watch the Lions, just but I don't care about them. I have a question. Yeah. Peg, does, do you think any part of it, the thrill, is the feeling, is the realization that it's happening live? That, like, you're part of something live that's going on in the universe outside of your home? Maybe. I mean, it is pretty wacky to see that stadium totally empty, or mm-hmm. some of them have, like, 200 people in there. So even though it's live, it doesn't feel, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know, maybe. Hmm. I don't know, because that's the only appeal for me of any live sports is just this there is something about things being live and especially in an era where so little of what we do is live it's like there is some weird appeal to it and i, and I don't and not football per se for me but i mean just any sport my and i was really the woman story, who, oh, oh sorry. sorry no go ahead finish finish, finish so you know don't normally have they they have these beautiful women down on the field who give little commentaries and do some interviewing um uh, but this women? game i watched oh the last Sunday, I think it was the Viking game. I think they're called sideline reporters. Is what they're okay. The sideline reporters are beautiful women. Not always, but a lot of them are women. So the commentator, the main commentator, like the Brent Musburger of 2020, I know who that is. Was a was a woman, and she was fantastic. She was a fantastic. Are they commentators, announcers? Ah. What are they? Well, there's they're usually the, what they call the play-by-play announcer, and then the color commentator. I thought they she was excellent. It, yes, better than that nasally voiced color. guy that you always see with the little smirky grin on his face. I don't like him. <laughs> I, I don't know who you're talking about, but. Um, but I, I know. Well, Jim, if, the if Aaron Rodgers gets it into the, the end zone today, he'll be like number five hundred on a list. Football play-by-play announcer for NBC is a guy named Al Michaels, who's been around for a very long time. The, the backup guy is a guy named Mike Chirico, who used to be on ESPN. the The number one play-by-play man for Fox is is Joe Buck, whose father Jack Buck was for many years a legendary announcer. And the number one play-by-play person for CBS is a guy named Jim Nance. How much do those guys make? Oh, yeah, Jim Nance is the one I think is bugging me. Okay, so they make lots and lots and lots of money. Yeah, I'm sure they do. any television star or television news person. I knew a guy who made, who researched for NBC, like factoids that would pop up on the screens of those announcers so that they could announce things about specific players when it came up. That was like factually like, you know, fun fact, Um, you know, (laughs) this player went to college and -and so-and-so and then met so-and-so before they started to have lunch or, you know, something like that. (laughs) And, and it was, uh, it was that, that was a thankless low paid minimum wage job in New York. Although but sometimes hey. that is how people get their entree into sure, sure, the business. Sure. Thank God Dick for America. Ebersol, we have a nice linear path working your way up to the top. If Dick Ebersol, who became the president of NBC Sports at one time, was the executive producer of Saturday Night Live, was the executive at NBC when Saturday Night Live started under Lorne Michaels back in 1975, he started as an intern at the Olympic Games, working for ABC for Rune Arledge. And Rune Arledge, who was for many, many years, probably about 30 years, the head of ABC Sports, is generally credited with being the person who uh, 
brought the idea of what they call up close and personal, of having human interest information about the athletes to present during the broadcast. These are all basically like coastal elites we're supposed to think are cool because when they fart, it's like special and they went to like Princeton because their dad did. I don't know what you're trying to say. All right. So... So much for my top of mind. Dick Ebersol, Rune Arledge, Jim Nance. Who does that comment apply to? I don't know. It's Chris Collinsworth. He's the one who drives me crazy. Chris Collinsworth is not the play-by-play announcer. He is the the, uh, color Color commentator commentator. for NBC. I didn't call him a play-by-play. I just said a commentator. I'm just clarifying. <laughs> I didn't see and so am I. Peggy, I'm happy you like football again. That's nice. It's and weird. I mean, I, it's I weird. Think is it nice? He, is it really nice? I think nice? he is generally considered sure. to be one of the two best football commentators working right now. I think he's he's phoning it in. He's ob- he's like... He's, no, um, he's very knowledgeable. He's very good at analyzing what happened on a play and why it happened. He sounds bored. Like, these fuckheads... Let's just get this game like over Jim with. Kind like Jim on this podcast. <laughs> the other great, th- uh, the other person who's considered the best right now is Tony Romo, who works for CBS. He's much. Isn't he an ex-football player? They're all. They're who, almost who all the color commentators are ex-football players. Yes, either ex-football players or ex-coaches or both. Okay. I have very so little who to wants offer to professional go next? sports, except one comment of my family who said that they were excited to hear that the that for some reason in college basketball this year, Duke, who historically has a phenomenal team, has a shitty team, and they like lost to somebody that somebody here cared about, and apparently the, <laughs> the very highly paid coach of Duke went on Twitter and said, like, you know, maybe it's a bad idea playing basketball during a pandemic. And everybody's like, ah, it's just because you suck. That's why you said that. It's self-serving and you're pathetic. So it's pretty, uh, that's the extent of my knowledge of Well, let me just clarify for that. Duke does, has lost two non-conference home games for the first time in over 35 years. So that is significant. And they probably don't have as good a team as they normally have. Uh, but he is not the only coach who's raised that issue. Rick Pitino, who used to coach at Kentucky and at Louisville and is now coaching at Iona, said they should postpone the entire season. And there have been, I don't know the exact number, but there have been many, many college basketball games that have been canceled as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. So yeah. there is some considerable yeah. question. It does seem self-serving in his situation, but yeah. I understand. Well, I mean, I'm not suggesting I'm defending his motives. I'm simply pointing out that there is a reasonable question about this. It's also true that as distinct from professional sports in the United States where the players have a union, they have fairly strong unions in each of the professional sports who negotiate the terms of reopening under these circumstances, the college players have no union and are not paid at all. They're not yeah, even they paid. get bumpkiss. Whereas the colleges make a lot of money off these events. Yeah, so I'm sure that Duke coach would have been making the same argument if he had a kick-ass team this year. I mean, I don't, you know, <laughs> you, I mean, you may say that, but there are other coaches who haven't lost two sure. games yeah. at home who've also yeah. raised the same True. issue. Yeah, they're just morally superior. Okay. I'm not. Okay, I'll go to my top of mind now. Uh, Jelly! That just opened up a can of worms. Uh, So my (laughs) top of mind is not sports related. Uh, I had to recently go to, you know, my annual eye exam. 
and had to have a, a slight little tweak to my eyeglasses. I don't need glasses all the time, mostly when I look at distance mm-hmm. or and I'm in a dark room, like a movie theater or auditorium, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I got these new glasses. Uh, they came in and I forgot that they are made in Chicago and they're called by this company called State. Which oh, I yeah, I know is, them. Do you know them? Yeah, yeah. I've been driven by there. Yeah, yeah, I know them. Yeah. yeah, and you could go in and see they invite you to come into their factory to see how their glasses are made. But <laughs> the most exciting part of it was when I opened the glass case and the the cleaner, the towel, the little, mm-hmm. you know, square thing that they give you mm-hmm. is a picture of the Chicago skyline and Aww. water and the bridges and the boats are in They're the harbor. They're owning it. Yes. It was, <laughs> it was like, broke my heart because I was like, oh, I know, I know exactly where that is. There's, they're like on the Ferris wheel, I think. They're literally, I think, on the Ferris wheel taking a picture going um, west, out west. Um, so... I thought that was kind of fun to see that. I love it. That was on my there's top a, of There's mind. a Warby Parker store in Lincoln Park, a hoity-toity neighborhood of Chicago. And I went by it the other day, and I was like, I thought Warby Parker was just an online company. Oh, no. They have a freestanding store here in Indianapolis, too. I didn't know that. I thought they yeah. were just an – I thought the whole reason they got famous and made money was because they were like, we can do it all on the Internet. Yeah, yeah right. They send you the frames right. for you to try yeah. on it. Right. Yeah. And now they have stores. It's like working backwards. Yeah. I guess there's some people that like to try them on in person. So you're never going to get LASIK, Shelly. I already did. I had it in uh, 2005. Okay. So that's why you don't need anything for distance. That's why I don't need anything for close up, I guess. Um, My distance, this is, and it's very subtle. It's a small uh, change, but enough that it's not perfectly uh, clear. And I could go back uh, and get LASIK again, but it, they said it would change my close-up. And I uh, use my close-up much more often, you know, because I'm in front of the yeah. computer and so forth. Yep. Yep. And, I, and I'd have to go back to Chicago to where I had it originally done. Um, Why? Because each site is an independent site. Oh. Or pay full price here. And I'm not, right. you know, right. you, LASIK usually has lifetime touch-up kind of thing oh i didn't know that so i'm I'm just waiting till i get um a cataract (laughs) yeah right that's and then it's lasik they get they yeah yeah that's how they fix it basically yeah i know a guy who does lasik who did lasik that thing where they do what is it called mono vision or something i forget what it's called but it's where one eye is for reading and one eye is for distance yes and apparently your brain gets used to it after a week or two i've heard that I tried it. I tried a contacts version of that just to experiment, and I hated it. I had a headache the whole week. I was, I was like, this is never, ever going to work for me. I'm way too hyper and anal about my vision. I need perfect vision. And it, yeah. was, it was a nightmare. That was offered to me also, and I flatly refused it. So, so you have to send us a picture of you in the new glasses. We can put it online. Okay, I will. They're not all that different than the ones I had before. They're a little bit cat eye. But when my mom mm. saw them recently, she goes, I don't see the cat eye. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> All she could see is Joe Biden aviators. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was top of mind. Nice. John. For me, 
Yeah, for me, top of mind is just uh, Christmas cookies. I'm thinking a lot about Christmas cookies, and I'm trying to think about like and I'm realizing that although I like you know the you know the kind of mild butter cookie with just a slight sugary edge and maybe like cranberries or something lemony flavor, even a little chocolate, something crazy, and the sprinkles. I really crave the straight up like hardcore sugar cookie with like a bright, glossy, glowing colored topping that's like thickly smeared on the top and make and gives you a sugar buzz for hours. Uh, and I, I was telling I was realizing in the course of feeding my child the last few days, because we're trying to avoid all processed sugar, at least for the first year of life. And uh, and I'm realizing how in the holidays, basically all I eat is sugar. <laughs> I just eat sugar and fat. That's kind of cookies or kind of just junk food is kind of my staple go-to. So anyway, I'm thinking a lot about cookies these days. So let me ask you a question. I love sugar cookies like that, Christmas cookies. My mom makes the best. Uh, what's the thinking behind avoiding it the first year of life? Because I can tell you my sugar, my sweet tooth has gotten stronger the older I've gotten. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything other than once you introduce sugar to a person, they'll ever be able to stop. Like, you know, I mean, you remember those studies that show that like the, it has the same effect on the brain as like cocaine or like, it, you know, it's it's like it's it's once you have sh- sugar just really is is all encompassing. It makes you desire it more and and okay. you, you can't get up. You know, they they don't it's I don't think it's necessarily a doctor thing. I mean, I'm sure they would probably say, don't give me a lot of sugar. But I the main thing, it's more for us that we're just like we're trying to stall uh since um till probably he's a, good one, idea a month to, from now right just probably a good idea because there's good idea. plenty of sugar in the future i would say as they get older they're going to be eating some sugar but it's not yeah, a bad course. idea to to keep try to regulate that yeah i was in i was in india with a friend from paris with his two with his toddler two children one who's a toddler this is years ago one who was a toddler and one who was uh like four and every restaurant we went to in india we were going around india and it was two gay men and it was actually three gay men and two little kids going around india and we were like bouncing in restaurants and every restaurant we went to they would just they would swoop in the wait staff would swoop in take the children and go play with them and give them coca-colas <laughs> so and he was trying to avoid sugar with them too and it was like it was impossible and so that's my dominant memory is like once you once we the pandemic's over and we're going out i'm like sugar is inevitable just let it happen you know minimal control so i never really heard of that either and i wasn't you know this didn't know much about young kids but when i visited jessica when her baby her child was small and he was eating human food or um not human food bigger people Adult. food <laughs> solid food um yeah zero sugar so all the little like lame yeah. sweet yummy crackers like animal crackers and stuff they were all flavorless um that kid was eating avocados like crazy salmon oh, yeah. before oh yeah he was one oh, yeah. year old First food was salmon for my kid. Wow. First, first, yeah. first, first thing put in his mouth other than milk was salmon. Yeah, I was amazed sitting there feeding him. He loved avocados. But they eat everything. They'll yeah. eat anything you stick in their mouth. They're just like whatever. They have no preferences. They don't know. They don't know. But I have a feeling if they, I, th- I have a feeling if you fed them sugar, they'd know. Well, and that's <laughs> why she was kind of an, she didn't want to send him to, to school. Right. right. The body yeah. would. She react. didn't want to send yeah. him to yeah. daycare or whatever because she didn't want to them to because eat. of sugar. Yeah. 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 She wasn't ready know, for that. Very, yeah, that's real. No, it just real. means that later in life, when they're exposed to sugar, they will desire it even more. It's 
Yep, we're doomed. As you discussed in the French eating segment of our Paris episode, moderation is the key on food. Yep. Is a key anyway. Yeah. And walking. Well, that's not food, but yes, walking is probably good for you too. Okay, so Jim, you're up, Jim. Like you're up Jim, what's on yes. top of your mind? I will tell you, Peggy. Way back a long time ago, when I was in the in second the semester of my senior year of college, <laughs> I took an internship at a senator's office on Capitol Hill. And then at the end of that semester, I was offered a full time job, which I took. And I worked for approximately three and a half years. So it was really my first adult job out of college as an assistant on the staff of Senator Paul Sarbanes of Maryland. Senator Sarbanes passed away on Sunday, December 6th at the age of 87. He was born in Salisbury, Maryland. His parents were Greek immigrants. He was a scholarship student at Princeton University. He became a Rhodes Scholar and went to Oxford. He went to the Harvard Law School in 1970, he was elected to the U.S. Congress representing the neighborhood in Baltimore, beating an incumbent on a longtime Democratic incumbent in the Democratic primary. In the House of Representatives, he was most famous for being the name sponsor of the first article of impeachment against Richard Nixon, the substitute text for that article, which became known as the Sarbanes Substitute. In 1976, he was elected to the Senate, defeating a Republican incumbent. He served 30 years in the United States Senate. His oldest son is now a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, he is most famous, probably the thing that he is most known for and most remembered for, is that he was the co-sponsor of the Sarbanes-Oxley legislation passed in 2002 in response to the Enron scandal, which required greater transparency in corporate accounting practices. And I just thought it would be useful to remember him. Or not useful, appropriate, I think is the right word. That's great. I didn't know that. I didn't know you worked for him. That's great. I did for three years. Yeah, wow. Three so. years? Yeah. Damn. Wow. wow. Where was your that office? That was a long time ago. Which building was it in? Yeah. Well, in those days, when I worked there, they had not yet completed the Hart Senate office building. Right. So they had two office buildings, Dirksen and Russell. The senator's oh, I know Dirksen. Uh, office was in Dirksen, but because of the crowding, they had yeah. these other older buildings, which I don't think exist anymore, which they called annexes. Like they were like old apartment buildings or old hotels or whatever, and I actually like walking distance away. Like, oh, it was or like they were different part of DC or something. Oh, right there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I actually worked in the annex. What did we? Call How it? crowded was? Were, did you have an office no. or a cubicle yeah, or? No. I mean, How did it we, work? No, there were there were. Um, I want to say there were four or five of us that worked in the uh, annex. Let's see. Let me see if I can remember this. One, sure two, three, <laughs> the fun four, part. five, six of us worked <laughs> in the annex, and uh, you know there were different cool. rooms, and it was like a, it was like an apartment. It was like a, yeah. they, somebody yeah. had been, it once been an apartment building and had been converted into an office, but you could still yeah. sell, tell it was sort of an, an apartment setup. 
Like somebody had what used you could tell somebody had what used to be the kitchen and somebody had one of the what used to be the bedrooms or something. Yeah. There were there were eight of you, you said? How six, many of you were there? Six of us. There were six of you working for the center. No, no, six of us in the annex. The staff the annex. was larger than that. There's a whole bunch of people in the main office in the Dirksen building, but we were in the annex. That's great. That's awesome. Fun. The, I mean, how do you think about those years? I like, mean, what is your dominant uh, memory or no, dominant emotion? There was a lot of craziness. I was going to law school at night. So I was working during the day and going to law school at night. Oh my uh, God. There was a lot of craziness in my life because I was, you know, like 22, 23, 24. Um, and, uh, you know, I was as. Uh, as uh, Philip Marlowe, the great Raymond Chandler detective, once said in one of his novels, I rated pretty high on insubordination, so I wasn't probably the best staff person ever. Yeah. But I have to say, Senator Sarbanes was What does always, that mean exactly, Jim? What did you, how were you insubordinate? I wasn't always, like, the most Like, he said, write a speech, and, and you were like, no, no, no screw no. you, I mean, I'm going to write a, I tended to a, more, a manifesto. I tended to be more, like... I tended to be more go against the grain. Like if they wanted to do things one way, I was like, why can't we do it differently? Um, Which is not necessarily the best thing for a staffer. But I will say that Senator Sarbanes was always very, very nice to me. I saw him. I think the last time I actually saw him was they had a get together for his 80th birthday of a bunch of former staffers and him. And that's the last time I saw him, but he used to come occasionally to the, uh, National Labor College for events, and when uh-huh. I worked there, and also he actually came when my father passed away. He came to the funeral. So, oh wow, that's great. Oh wow, so he, you stayed in touch. You really stayed. I in mean, touch. a little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's not like we talked on a regular basis. Or Would you do that again if somebody offered you a job? I don't. Th- First of all, it's definitely a younger person's job. Why? I mean, why? Just because it's crap. you're working, the hours can be a little crazy and. Uh, well, you were going to law school at the time. How yeah, crazy but, could they have been? Well, you know. <laughs> That's I mean, insane. I, used to, I mean, it's all you were doing, obviously. I mean, you have to understand, when I went to law school, I went to as few law school classes as I possibly No, I understand, but it's still a little work. I know it was probably a coast relative. No, there were, men, there, were there were at least some <laughs> nights where I was basically at the office all night. All night, yeah. But Wow. But I but mean, also, of, I just don't know that I'm the best person for that job. But in terms of in terms of comparative effect, I think on it's society, a good you're making the world a better place. Some, How would you compare some it to people, other things you've done? Well, let's see. I mean, it was it was better than some things, and probably not. I wasn't as suited to it as other things, but you know, I don't know. Um, there, some people do make a career of doing that, and they enjoy it, and they have the temperament for it. And, uh, you know, that's great. I mean, there's a lot of listen- people um, that that are, you know, yeah. work on one correctional staff or another for, you know, for their for entire their career. No, I mean, I was listening to, there's a po- podcast I listened to called Politics in Question. It, I started listening to it's Julia Azari, who's on 538's podcast. She has, she, it's her podcast kind of with a couple other guys, some guy named Lee Drug- Drugman or something from uh, Think Tank. Anyway, they were talking on one of the episodes about, they t- they're pretty good, but they're academics mostly and think tank people. But one of the topics they were talking about was like one of the major things that needs to be done to save America is 
like professionalize and increase the pay for staffers for Senate and congressional employees. And I was like, really, is this this big of a deal? And then I thought about it and I thought maybe it is, you know, if, if it's just a, if you if all the people working for government other than the actual senators or, go, or elected officials themselves are like low paid, like okay. people who are just so, suffering and getting by, that's not good for government. You know, you wouldn't do that at like McDonald's Corporation or I mean, I know, AT&T. You'd have like competent people all the way up the chain. I don't I my information on what people got paid is like 40 years out of date. So but but you know that the the staffs of congressmen and senators their salaries are public information. You can actually yeah. look at Yeah. Well, up. they're publicly controlled, I think. Or maybe they're not anymore. They were until like Reagan or something they, and then there, they... there may be some limits on on what the yeah. top salary can be. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. I think that's as the way I recall it, and this was at least I think it was true when I was there, was that that the that the member, the senator, or the representative decided who he's going to pay how much. Yeah, but I, I just think feel there like may be a, there may be like a... no staffer can make more than I mean you know I, I make make more than I'm I, you know something I can't I don't know I'm yeah. not sure about. That. So it wasn't exactly like being on the West Wing. It was not like being on the West Wing. <laughs> There is there is no seer of human activity that is like shoot. That's what I was hoping it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> you like everything comes out of your lips is like witty and appropriate, and like everything that comes important. out of my lips is witty and appropriate. But unfortunately, <laughs> not Aaron Sorkin. I can't say that for the rest of the people on my podcast. That's uh, oh man, you could have gone for some non-podcast insult, but instead you went for us. Damn it! I know. On that note, I think we need to wrap it up, guys. Yeah, thanks, we guys. Do too. Well, uh, who's taking us out? I don't know. Who's taking us out, John? I don't know. I don't really Shelly. I vote for sure. Shelly. I vote for Shelly. Sure. She has the new home. glasses. I'll do it. <laughs> well, thanks, folks. That's our all the time we have for our top of mind. It was a little longer, but uh, as always, we thank you for your patience and for listening to us. We also want to thank uh, Ted Enling for the music, Justin Mullins for the multiple edits that he will have to do and all for making us sound very good, not talking over each other. If you like this uh, Top of Mind podcast, please uh, rate us in iTunes, write us a comment or a review, send us a voice memo, and uh, you can always tweet us, chat Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify. Um, and uh, be sure to join us again very soon. Can I can I actually interject one special announcement, Shelley? Absolutely. In one week, we have a very special episode coming up, which features our redheaded league of Shelley, Peggy, and our frequent guest and friend, Beth Shannon. So one week from today, you should be listening for that episode. Very good. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for that great reminder. Uh, and we look forward to the next time. Thanks. Thanks.